0: I've had the opportunity to preach uh, from Jonah on uh, two other occasions and in both of those uh, circumstances I uh, uh, threw out the message interspersed a bit of my story and it was my intention coming into this sermon this morning that I would not do that. However um, I find it impossible for me to dive into uh, this story of God at work without uh, sharing a little bit about how I've gotten to where I am uh, today in God's hand um, in my life. And so when I was, a junior, uh, in, uh, when I was in junior high, uh, the pastor of my youth group encouraged me to learn how to play bass guitar. He knew I enjoyed music, he knew I enjoyed singing, and for whatever reason, that was the instrument that he suggested that I start on. So after a few years of playing bass, I decided it's time to start learning guitar, with the hopes that by the time I became a senior in high school, I'd be able to help lead worship for my youth group. Well, the summer following my senior year of high school, is the moment where I can look back now and see that there was a distinctive call on my life, through the generosity of a complete stranger. God set into motion this call. It was following a Sunday morning worship service. The church that I grew up attending shared its building with another congregation. And once a month, over the course of the the summer, we would worship together as one body. This particular Sunday, I had the chance to lead worship, uh, to lead the music with a few friends of mine from the youth group worship band. And following the service, an older woman who I had never met before from this other church approached me and started asking me questions about my guitar. At the time, I was playing a very cheap beginner guitar. The tone wasn't great, but it was playable. Given the age of this particular individual, I assumed that she was asking me because she had a grandchild interested in learning how to play and thus the questions about the instrument. And so I told her the truth. I told her, you know, it's a $100 plastic top, fender, acoustic, electric thing that um, I wouldn't get any better on, but for somebody learning, uh, it was a good instrument to start on. And well, my assumption was wrong. She approached me because she felt throughout the worship service that God was prompting her to purchase me a nice instrument. I'll pick up the rest of this story a bit later. I promise it relates to our series. We're in the third week of our four week study through the book of Jonah. Uh, This morning, I'm gonna invite Katie Gustafson up, actually. Um, She's gonna summarize the story of Jonah. She's been leading our children's ministry while our children's pastor, Shelly, has been out on maternity leave. At City Church, we believe the Bible is for everyone in all walks of life, and that includes children. So, in the recent years, there's been some excellent adaptations of the Bible specifically created for a younger audience, and this morning, Katie is going to read for us the story of Jonah from the Tiny Truths Bible. You can follow the illustrations on the screen.
1: Tiny Truths calls this the story of Jonah and the big fish. In a big city called Nineveh lived the worst enemies of God's people. Jonah said God, go to Nineveh and tell everyone to stop all the bad things that they're doing. Tell them to say they're sorry and to choose love instead. But Jonah did not want to go. These people were his enemies. How on earth could God love them? So Jonah jumped on a ship going away from Nineveh, trying to escape from God. But God sent a dangerous storm over the sea. The terrified sailors on the boat prayed to their gods to save them, and nothing happened. It's my fault, said Jonah. I'm running away from God. Throw me into the sea, and the storm will stop. So they did, and the storm stopped. The sailors saw that Jonah's God was the only true God, and they thanked him for rescuing them. Meanwhile, God sent an enormous fish to swallow Jonah up. Jonah's plan to run away from God was not going well. After three days stuck inside the fish, he realized he'd made a mistake. He prayed to God, and God told the fish to spit him out. Now will you go? God asked him. This time, God, or Jonah, not God, God did Jonah. This time, Jonah went straight to Nineveh and gave them God's message. God loves you, he said, but he doesn't like the way that you're living. It's not what he made you for. He made you for something better. Say you're sorry and choose love instead. And you know what? The people listened. Even the king listened and was sorry. He took off his royal clothes and put on a dirty, itchy sack instead. And then he announced to his people, everyone in Nineveh must say sorry to God. We must love him and change our lives. Jonah was shocked. The worst enemies of God's people had said they were sorry and changed their ways. What an amazing, happy ending. But Jonah didn't think so. He was angry. He couldn't understand why God loved these people. He didn't want to share God's love with other tribes. But God's love is bigger than that. His love is for everyone, even enemies.
0: Thanks, Katie. So the harrowing ordeal for Jonah... Being within the belly of the great fish for three days had finally ended. He found himself alive, standing on dry ground. Following his miraculous deliverance, Jonah was again confronted by the Lord. Let's begin by looking at the first four verses of Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took about three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The, the children's story make Jonah's message sound so much more pleasant than that. <laughs> There's a number of things we do in life eh, that we only have one chance to get right. This is a pretty trivial example, um, but one of my college roommates had the chance to kick a field goal at halftime at one of our football games. Make it, and he he would win $1,000. Miss it, he goes home empty-handed. He had one chance, he missed it, and that was that. When I was in seminary, one of my professors would give us a 10-question quiz every single week. Class would begin, we would take out a sheet of paper, we would number it one through 10, the question would be asked verbally. Question, followed by five seconds to answer, and then on to the next question. No repeats. Miss the question? Too bad. Thankfully, God doesn't require that we always get things right the first time, or even the second time. The good news is that with God, it works differently. With Him, we do get a second chance. We might not deserve it, but we get one. In the first verse of chapter 3, we're told here again that Jonah is given a second chance. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Jonah gets this second chance from God even though he didn't deserve it. And this is God's mercy at work. We can blow things the first time, but God will give us a chance to try again. And notice that the direction here that God gives Jonah is the same. It's not... Added with any threats or feeling of guilt or rebuke for Jonah's initial disobedience? No. In his radical mercy, he said, Go to Nineveh. So the first time God said go, Jonah said no. And God could have given up on him. Some may even say that God should have given up on Jonah. But he didn't. He was merciful. And one of the things that we see throughout this book is God's mercy is greater than our sin. And that there are simply some things that our sin cannot change. We make the mistake of thinking that once we have messed up, we can never get back on track. That God cannot use us again. But if you've been running from God and you're ready to come back, God is willing to pick up where you've left off. God's mercy is greater than your sin. He will bring you back to the place where he wants you to be and he will forgive you, period. So despite Jonah's initial fe- uh, fleeing and failure to follow where God was calling him, we see in our text for today that God's plans, God's power, and God's promise are unchanging. First, God's plan. Verses 1 and 2, Then the, Lord, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. God tells him the exact same thing that he told him in Jonah chapter 1. Go to Nineveh and give them the message that I give to you. Jonah's initial disobedience didn't change God's plan for his life. Nineveh still needed to hear the word of God, and Jonah was still the man that God chose for this job. And once Jonah got his heart right, God was ready to put him back into action. Repeatedly throughout Scripture, we see how God was able to use people even after they committed significant, significant sins. Abraham had an affair, and God still used him. King David committed adultery and murder, and God used him. You may try to run away from God at some point in your life, but once you stop running, God's plan for your life goes back into effect. And that's not to say that there aren't consequences for our sin. It just is to say that God's plan involves repentant sinners. So picking back up a bit where I left off in terms of how I ended up in pastoral ministry. So I'm gifted this brand new guitar from a complete stranger. She tells me that she felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit to do this because she felt like God was telling her that I needed a nicer instrument for the work that he was calling me into. Looking back, it seems like an incredibly powerful moment. But did I realize it then? Not really. Maybe to an extent, but I was 18. I had just graduated high school. I didn't really know what I was doing with my life. I had plans set already. I wanted to go to a Big Ten school. I was enrolled at Indiana University. I enjoyed music, sure, but did that mean I was going to go and drop everything and complicate my college plans right before I was about to leave? I didn't. Now, I wouldn't say that I was knowingly or purposefully running away from God's call on my life, but I can definitely say that there were moments over the course of the next few years that I really couldn't shake the feeling that following college, I needed to more seriously consider theological education and mentorship in the area of church music. Fast forward to my junior year of college, and I studied theater, secondary education. And in my stage lighting course, I meet who at the time, I'm convinced, is the only other Christian in the theater program at Indiana. We quickly became good friends. It wasn't long before we started dating. Uh, She was a senior, so a year ahead of me, graduating in May with dreams of pursuing an acting career in Los Angeles. The relationship was still pretty new, and I think it was out of a fear of losing that relationship that uh, I decided to propose. We set a wedding date for the following summer, right after I would have graduated, and the plan was to move to Los Angeles, where she could pursue an acting career, while I find a teaching job that could allow us to live out there and uh, support her. By the time that we're engaged, it's clear to everybody except for me that this is an unhealthy relationship. I was being isolated from my friends. I was being isolated from my family. It was an emotionally abusive relationship and it wasn't long before I was miserable. But here's the thing, I was stubborn, I was loyal, and I felt stuck. Like Jonah was content to drown at sea rather than simply repent of his sin, so too was I, not wanting to have the embarrassment of admitting to others that they were right, deciding to live a life that was miserable seemed like the better option to me. Now to be clear, throughout the four years of my college and even these plans that I was making uh, for afterwards, I didn't think that I was ever consciously running away from God. I still felt like I wanted to end up in a worship ministry of some sort at some uh, at some point in my life, but it wasn't the priority at the time. Well, in my last semester of college, I'm student teaching at a, a high school theater program in the suburb of Louisville, Kentucky. I had packed up my things, moved two hours south of Bloomington, Indiana, where I was studying school, where uh, uh, my roommates of three years were um, living alone in a a new city um, that I had never been before. And just a few weeks into the semester, my fiance drives down to inform me out of nowhere that she wanted to end our relationship. At the time, I was devastated. In my embarrassment and fear of ridicule from friends and family, I had no idea what to do in that moment. A couple of days later, an ice storm of historic proportions hit the region. Within the Louisville Metro, 205,000 households were without power for up to 10 days. School was canceled. Um, uh, school was canceled for an entire week. I couldn't drive anywhere. I was literally stuck in the basement apartment of a uh, house that I had just moved to. Last week, Amy taught on Jonah's prayer from chapter 2. And in a sense, this is what my week was like without power. Like God met Jonah when he was in the depths of his despair, God met me that week. And by the time the power came back on, I was already at the point of relief and beginning to ask the question, okay, what comes next? Well, I was reminded of what was next when my middle school pastor, who had gotten me started on bass guitar, reached out to me out of nowhere on Facebook to ask me if I was interested in a worship pastor position at his church in Kansas. While that didn't lead me to pursuing that particular position, it served as a turning point for me to remember God's call on my life and to look into seminary and to look into finding a mentor. I had stopped running, or perhaps more accurately, God had stopped me in my tracks and mercifully gave me a second chance to pursue um, what he would have in store for me. The second thing that our sin doesn't change is God's power. Jonah went to Nineveh, did what he was supposed to do. Although it would appear he does so begrudgingly, nevertheless, he's obedient. He walks through the streets of Nineveh and proclaimed the word of God. And as a result, the Ninevites believed. They declared a fast, all of them, from the greatest to the least. The king put on sackcloth, the repentance was so complete that even the cattle were fasting. Just because Jonah disobeyed God didn't mean that God's word lost its power. A New Testament example of this is seen in the example of the Apostle Peter. While Jesus was facing death on the cross, the Apostle Peter abandoned him, left him to die alone. Not once, not twice, not three times he was asked if he was a disciple of Jesus, and each time, Peter denied having ever known Jesus. As Christ was being led to, the death, led to his death, Peter warmed himself by the light of a Roman soldier's fire and swore to all who could hear, I don't know that man. Jesus heard Peter's denial. The Bible tells us in Luke 22 that when Peter spoke those words, the Lord turned and looked straight at him. And yet even after Peter denied Christ, he experienced the power of God in his life and in a dramatic way. On the day of Pentecost, Peter spoke and 3,000 people confessed Jesus as Lord. The power of God was so evident in Peter's life that people would bring sick, the people that they knew who were sick, into the streets where Peter walked so that his shadow might pass over them. Peter's sin didn't change God's power. It was the same with Jonah, and it's the same with you. Just because you may have failed God in some area of your life doesn't mean that you have forever lost the ability to experience the power of God working through you. God's mercy is greater than your sin. Third thing we see is that our sin cannot change God's promises. Nineveh was a sinful city and God was ready to destroy it. He was willing, however, to give them another chance. We're told in verses five through 10. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Let's briefly walk through Jonah's message and the response of the people. The first question one might ask is, why does God even care about Nineveh if they're so evil? Well, in both God's first direction, to uh, Jonah in chapter 1, as well as this, God refers to Nineveh as a great city. Maybe God intended to demonstrate the effectiveness of his own word to that exceedingly great city, whose very name conjured up images of power and glory. It represented, Nineveh represented the pinnacle of cultural civilization in its day, and as such, it was attractive to many of God's people long before they were even exiled to Assyria in 721 BC. Maybe God's concern for the city is an image of his concern for all cities, even today. Large cities are often categorized by power and wealth. They often have a downside, though, seen in poverty, neglect and human exploitation. While their resources frequently lead to considerable influence beyond boundaries, life in cities can also harbor corruption on a large scale. But we see in Revelation a vision of the city of God, a city where all evil and all suffering has been overcome. One commentator suggests, That by addressing Nineveh, it could be that God intended to show the effectiveness of his word to his own people in the great city of Jerusalem. It could be that the prophetic writer of Jonah is addressing God's people by telling them a story concerning Nineveh. Maybe Nineveh's response to the word of God would be the eye-opener that they needed themselves. That they might then begin to see that even that great city repented while they themselves remained deaf to God's word and stubbornly unrepentant. So Jonah enters the city, and he proclaims the message in a terse, taciturn fashion, a message which on first hearing is hardly hopeful. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. They were given forty days in which to consider their position. The number 40 indicating a period of time frequently associated in scripture with an encounter with God. There are two things to note about this word overthrown. First, it's linked in the biblical tradition with the overthrow of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah as described in Genesis 19 verses 21, 25, and 29. By using this particular word, the storyteller reminds the hearers of an earlier cataclysmic event. And it may awaken within them a sense of justice having been done as the cities got destroyed. Um, They got what was coming to them. And so Nineveh deserved to be overthrown for its wickedness. However, the word equally means turning upside down, a reversal, a change of heart. The message of Jonah could therefore be understood as meaning in 40 days Nineveh Will have a change of heart. Uh, a Jewish rabbi, uh, Rabbi Rashi, comments that the word overflown, uh, overthrown has two senses good and bad. If they do not repent, they will be destroyed. But if they repent, they shall indeed be overthrown, for they will have changed from evil to good. The truth which the Ninevites recognize is God's readiness. To be merciful they cast themselves on his mercy and discover that indeed he is merciful deliverance belongs to God perhaps one of the most wonderful truths lying at the heart of this book is that God turns to those who turn to him and even more wonderful is the truth that he does not turn away from those who like Jonah turn away from him The book of Jonah ultimately reminds us that God's mercy is greater than anything we can imagine. It also reminds us that we are not the gatekeepers of salvation. Jonah wants to play the role of judge. He wants to decide who is worthy of God's compassion. Rich will address this more next week, but we're told at the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4. When God saw what the Ninevites did and how they turned from their evil ways he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened but Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry he prayed to the Lord oh Lord this is not uh, is this not what I said when I was still at home this is why I was so quick to flee Tarshish I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God slow to anger and abounding in love a God who relents from sending calamity It's pretty clear why Jonah didn't want to follow God. He knew of God's mercy, and he didn't want the Ninevites to have it. If we were to place ourselves in the story of Jonah, who would we most closely reflect? Is it the repentant Ninevites? Is it the merciful God whose love goes beyond our understanding, or Jonah? the reluctantly obedient prophet who's angry when God shows mercy. Consider that question for yourself. Consider that question for us as City Church. Consider that question about the American church. Consider that question about the global church. In spite of Jonah's sin, God's promise remains the same. If you repent you'll be forgiven in spite of Nineveh's history God's promise remains the same if you repent you will be forgiven supplies to everyone the same God doesn't show favoritism there might be times in your life where you're beaten down by your own failures and you think I don't deserve to be forgiven yet God's promise is just as true for you as it was for Jonah as it was for the Ninevites. If you repent, you will be forgiven. There might be times when you get full of yourself and you begin to think, well, that person is so much worse than I am. At those times, we must remember that God's promise is just as true for them as it is for us. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you that you are a God that does not turn his back on his people. We thank you for uh, the example of your extravagant love and mercy that we see in this book. Lord, we pray that we would follow uh, more the example of um, the city of Nineveh, a people who recognized the evil that they had done and turned and repented, who put their trust in you. may you take away any feelings of self-righteousness the character of uh, characteristics of of Jonah that remain um, bitter and exclusive would you awaken us to a greater understanding that your love is for all of your creation that you have not created a single person who is not created in your image. We are all image bearers of you. And so, Lord, would you remind us of that with each day? Amen.